Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. It may be a good morning, but what a lousy night for Utah State. Kloon Arena, the Air Force Academy. The Aggies got off to a nice start. They were up by eight. Sam Merrill was hitting a couple shots. Things seemed to be going well. And then a couple minutes before halftime, Air Force went on a run. Turned it into a two-point game at the half. And then in the second half, it was all Air Force. They came out, they took the lead, they pulled away, and there was a lot of garbage time late. Probably point to a lot of stuff that went wrong. I'll go to the fact that Utah State got out-rebounded by 20 boards. They're the bigger team, but they just didn't play with any energy on the backboard. Uh, Kata was in foul trouble. Okay, that's a factor, but they played a lot of games without him. They got other guys who can rebound, and they didn't get it done. What went wrong? Scotty G called the game. Here he is with the head coach, Craig Smith, after the loss. Coach, with about three and a half minutes left to go in the uh, first half, you're up by 12. They end the first half on a 9-0 run and then take off in the second half. Uh, what do you what do you attribute uh, what they were able to do in the second half to really kind of pull away from you? Yeah, I mean, we I thought we played really, really well the first um, 15 to 16 minutes, and yeah. we were really moving and sharing the ball, and I thought we really defended their stuff with discipline and toughness, and you know, uh, they, they run the Princeton offense, and, and they can make you look bad at times. And, and like I said, in the, like we said in the pregame show, when guys haven't defended it, sometimes it's um, it can twist them up a little bit, and they can get discombobulated. And certainly foul trouble, we knew that was a big emphasis for us going into the game, is showing our hands and their cuts. And um, and we were getting handsy and had a lot of foul issues the first half with, uh, obviously, Takeda got two right away. Um, Porter had two right away. Uh, and then a little bit later, Bean got his, got two. And I know Fonz ended up with two. I thought there might have even been one more. But, um, and, um, and then they got loose in transition, I thought. I thought we lost our discipline on some stuff in the half court. They go into half court, halftime nine, on a 9-0 run, and we go six straight possessions where we don't get a, a bucket, and we're doing a lot of standing around. And I thought we missed a lot of point-blank shots where we could have easily been up 20. Yeah. You know, in the first half, Bean missed a chip shot at the basket. Fonz missed one at the basket. Diogo uh, missed one at the basket. Um, Brock missed one, I believe. And Sean missed one on the break. Yeah. And so even if you make three of those, you know, and then, then we just fell apart. And that's what's really disappointing is we didn't take a stand. We still fought back. I uh, had it to seven when or six, actually, when Bear still makes a three. And um, um, but then right after that, um, Nimi gets blown by at the top of the key for a dunk. Now it goes to eight. We, we put Trevin in. And Trevin, I believe, gets an and one, misses the free throw. We get a foul. Brock comes over the back. They make two. Now it goes to nine. We have an empty possession. Trevin, for no reason, just shoves the guy off the block and out gives him two more without earning anything. So now it's 11. And then I think the possession after that, uh, we have another empty possession. And then uh, Fonz gets back cut for another dunk. And yeah. so and then it snowballed. And then we kind of look at each other like, Who's going to step up? And I thought we fragmented. And and I, I don't know. I'm not, I don't recall ever being a part of something where you're up 12 and we got outscored. Um, what was it, 57 to 26? So by 31. Yeah. And so that tells me a lot. Um, you know, certainly I was looking in the mirror as a coach, and you know, I, probably, I should have used all four timeouts. You know, in the first probably. Um, 28 minutes of the game maybe or whatever um but i gotta really do some soul searching and 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 figure out do we need to cut things down you know sometimes you got this problem problem the other problem 
and sometimes you have 10 problems and you're not going to fix them all, so let's just fix five of them. Uh, and then I got to look at personnel. Yeah. Are we playing the right guys? You know, um, um, you know, a guy, I thought Sean Bearstow had a really good game today. And again, I said this after the UNLV game, um, Roche gets in there for three minutes and gets four points. Now he got back cut for a layup um, or a dunk. Um, so, but the one thing I know about him is he's going to play hard. Uh, he's going to play with physicality and he's going to be a team guy. And for whatever reason, we just uh, offensively and give them credit. I thought they played great. They showed a lot of resiliency when they could have been blown out yeah. in that first half to come back. They had a great crowd tonight. Um, but we're we're not playing very connected right now on either side of the ball, and that's very, very concerning. It was nice to see Brock break out a little bit yeah. uh, offensively. He has five threes in this game. But uh, but but Sam uh, held to just, I think it was five attempts in the second half, did not score in the second half. As, as you see, teams are really focusing on trying to take him out of the game. Well, that's, that's, that's what teams are doing, right? Yeah. And we got to find ways to get him more shots and better shots and – and teams are just keen on him until other guys can step up to the plate. You know, I thought, you're right, I thought Brock played very well tonight on both ends of the ball. Uh, I thought Brock played very well against San Diego State. And we, you know, to Brock's credit, um, you know, I don't know, say we, we challenged him um, pretty substantially here a few games ago. And, and he's been playing well and not always just showing up in the suit. But it's always funny how when maybe you just clear your mind and keep the game simple how well you start playing yeah and um he's doing his numbers like an offense rebound effort has been off the charts the last two games and it was very inconsistent before that and so now he's just doing his job and his game becomes easier you know and so you can start to see it too though in practice he's shooting it his his numbers are good he's getting in a rhythm that way and we just got to be able to find more consistency out of I mean, just you can just look at the numbers, and you, it's pretty easy to see yeah. um, where we got to develop some consistency. So um, we will. Um, we better do it in a hurry, or it's going to get away from us real quick. Uh, we got Nevada might be the hottest team besides San Diego State. Nevada is probably the hottest team in the league right now. UNLV obviously is playing very, very well as well, and so it's certainly not going to get any easier. Um, I do believe we have good character in that locker room. Um, but we're going to have to figure some things out and uh, in a hurry. Is this something where you rely on, on leadership from within the locker room? Because, you know, you as a coach can yell and scream all you want, but at the end of the day, doesn't it have to come from within on that team? Well, that's a huge part of it, certainly. Um, you, gotta have, you have to have character. You have to have guys that want to play for each other and want to um, celebrate their teammates' success. they got to understand that, you know, the history of Utah State basketball is incredible. And every time you go out out there and perform or step on the practice floor, you're representing Utah State and everything that that involves. And um, and I'm not sure we're doing that consistently. I think we got some guys that are worried about um, the wrong things, you know, quite frankly. And, and it's easy to compare to last year. I'm not going to go down that road. But um, we have some veteran guys here that need to step up to the plate and and remember how hard we had to work to get to that point. And I'm not sure we're always um, – I think sometimes we have some guys that want it easy, and it's never easy. 
Appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks, Scotty. We'll talk before. Go Aggies. There's Scotty G with Craig Smith after the Aggies lose 79-60 at Air Force. All right, coming up, the Utes and the Cougars preparing for big games. We will hear from their coaches next. And Ben Anderson is talking jazz with PK and I at about 640. Stay with us. Coming up next, Larry Krustoviak, head coach of the Utes as they get ready for Colorado, and BYU head coach Mark Pope as they get ready for St. Mary's Thursday. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. The Utes have... Eight days from that Saturday loss to Oregon until Sunday when they play at Colorado. Larry Kristoviak getting his club ready for the big game with the Buffs. Here's Larry with the media. I'm sure that you've had the chance to maybe um, watch the film off the weekend. Just maybe some general thoughts on, on what you saw out of your group out of both games. Well, I mean, uh, I thought, you know, we were really good for the majority of the game against Oregon State. Um, I thought we generated a lot of offense in our transition and playing some defense with the exception of the first uh, eight, uh, six, eight minutes in the Oregon State game. I thought we did a really good job on those two uh, elite scores in Ethan Thompson and and uh, Trace Tinkle. And, you know, there was some energy in the building defensively. Once we got through the 11 game or 11 day layoff, I thought it was, it was real positive. And then Oregon, um, you know, the margin for error was just more slim, I think. Uh, Pritchard really, that's a guy that has a lot of reps under his belt and being talking about some high accolades. And there was a handful of times where we lost track of him and he made us pay. Um, you know, I was really pleased at the fact that we only turned it over seven times and we allowed six three-pointers against the Oregon team, which had been making a lot of them. And uh, Pritchard, two, two were deep. And then uh, Justus hit the only one he's hit all year. So there were some areas that we did some good things, but, you know, still... Um, I thought there were just way too many mistakes. There was a period where we didn't guard one-on-one. Uh, I thought we were inefficient on offense at times. We missed some layups and tip-ins at the rim, which when you look at the film five seconds later, they're laying it in. So the the combination of those things, and then late in the game, we had a hard time with some defensive rebounding. Um, And then the other night, we talked about the shooting. You know, we missed 10 open threes in the first half, which I would take any day of the week. And, And then a handful of free throws. Those are all extremely costly but um you know we had a really productive film session yesterday and we're looking forward to practicing uh, four out of the next five days and see if we can get better i mean it's as i told our guys it's not really a mystery you know it's not like we're grasping for things and trying to figure things out it's a matter of of uh, just tightening it all up and and as i've said many times over the years there aren't any little things just when you think you know uh, you let down your guard and have one of those mishaps that oregon team and and it was crazy too you know 
um, offensive rebound wise as we watch the film you know we, we would have at times we would have three guys blocking out one guy and I'll be danged if that one guy didn't get the ball because it bounced maybe in the right spot or there was a little mishap so um, yeah it was it was hard to watch after the fact because there was in, you know a number of those little plays where you say man we'd like to have that one back but overall I think uh, um, we played we played really hard on the weekend and we and we tried to share the ball uh, the assist total wasn't there against Oregon with only nine of them, but there were a lot of potential assists that was the right play. So um, we've just got to figure out a way to kind of piece it all together, and, and the, the getting the win is the key, and we weren't, weren't able to do that the second game. Can you uh, t- talk about Colorado's team this year? And also I was wondering, it seemed like you were pretty close with Tad Boyle, and I just wanted maybe wait, give us a background on where that relationship started or how you Yeah, I, you know, I think there's some similarity in the fact uh, that Tad came from northern Colorado, was there for a few years, Big Sky Conference. I came from uh, Montana, probably small town kid mentality. Um, you know, and Tad was here a year prior to me, if I'm not mistaken, in, in terms of the conference. I think he was hired the year before I was hired. So we've been in a lot of meetings. We sit in a lot of gyms watching kids. I think from a geography point of view, we're recruiting a lot of the same kids. And I'd like to think that we run our programs in similar um fashions and and you know we we share information with each other on scouting reports uh with being a travel partner we obviously play the team just before they do and vice versa so i think there's some tidbits there but he's he's genuinely a great guy and um and i enjoy spending time and he's not the only one there's some guys in our conference that i feel the same way about but um you know on paper they're one of the top teams in not on paper but they've accomplished it i'm I'm thinking back to preseason with the with the predictions and stuff but they have a lot of their firepower back from a year ago and you know some of that experience and size i think they have uh three components that you need in order to win some games in terms of individual players and they've certainly got one of the best point guards in our conference in mckinley wright uh some quality bigs you know throughout tyler bay's one of the better bigs in our conference and 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 uh batty is a big guy uh seawert and then a lot of shooters around them so i think they've got those elements and they certainly guard very well and um and share the ball so we've got our hands full we've always seemed to have some some real interesting matchups there's not going to be a lot of secrets between uh the two teams and what it is that we do um with a lot of those conversations over the years you kind of give away some of your own secrets when you're talking to each other about how to beat a uh, another opponent so um it's usually a high energy physical game and we've got to be ready to uh to scrap at, at the only place that we play at that's actually a little bit higher in elevation than than we are we're the the travel pair that that uh plays in elevation so we've got to be conditioned as well we're not talking much this week no no um when you were recruiting Booth when he was in high school and you would watch him, um, what position was he playing primarily? And at the time, what did you think he would project as as a college player? 
Well, I mean, I think uh, initially it, it wasn't so much watching him in high school, uh, Compass Prep in Phoenix. It was his his AAU program, and Coach Connor and I were um, it was the tail end of one of the AAU sessions, and we were actually in the gym to watch another player and sitting right behind us or playing a game right behind us on multiple courts um, was Booth. And, and we probably watched the first half of the game. And we, I don't, if I recall, uh, we didn't really discuss what was going on behind us, but he kind of kept catching our eye. And yeah, the game that we were there to watch. And I think about the time halftime hit, our chairs kind of shifted a little bit and we started looking over. And, and the reality is, you know, when we had a player here, uh, DeLon Wright, um, once you have a guy like that, you're kind of looking for the next DeLon Wright. And there was a, a lot of similarities in terms of body style and, and movement. Um, and so we started watching him. You know, he he was he's got the ball in his hands a lot when we were recruiting him, and we saw him as a as a point guard, combo guard, um, but extremely athletic. And he kind of looked um, kind of looked like a a young thoroughbred. You know, when you see somebody that's that's uh, got what it takes, and he had kind of some natural mannerisms that were reminded us of a Delon. So we we uh, we recruited we recruited him very hard. <laughs> You know, he gets here, and I haven't been here that long, but, you know, the games that I've seen, he, he looks increasingly comfortable uh, at the point with the ball in his hands. Do you see that at all, that, you know, with each passing game, he, he, he seems to be getting more and more comfortable when when he's handling the ball? Yeah. No, I think that's, you know, that's all part of a, of a learning curve for him. Um you know he's he's really good in the open court, so he can play with Rylan. It's a little bit like when we had Brandon Taylor and Delon playing together in the backcourt. Um, a lot of times, you know, a team will have an elite defender maybe in the backcourt, but not two of them. And so I think with Brandon and Delon, we were able to, you know, if somebody wants to get into one of your primary handlers instead of almost having to shut down because you don't have the other guy to facilitate then you're able to you know switch gears a little bit and um so i think booth and rylan have the same kind of you know potential where we don't have to lean on the on the one guy uh to carry the load but um we've, we're trying to score in transition and if uh if booth is not the point guard uh, on the court, then we want him to get out and run the, the wing, which he's very capable of doing. You've seen him when he makes up his mind to, to get up and down the court and um, try to encourage him to rebound it, and then he can start the break himself. And, and um, But he's doing a nice job. He, he gets in the lane. I think we've seen him you know, finish a number of times, uh, and he's made a number of passes that are, are great for our shooters, but kind of the top down is what I would encourage him to do more of, try to get on the rim. He's a great free throw shooter as well. So um, making great progress you know, in his second year, and there's a lot of different coverages and pick and roll and different things that guys see, and they have to be able to, to make different uh, decisions out of those. So he's, he's, making, he's making really good progress. At the start of the year, you talked about Alfonso Plummer being one of your best shooters, and I, he really hasn't played much the last couple of games, uh, and maybe you needed shooting last game, but I just wondered if it's, it's other things that he's not doing or is there a lack of confidence in having him play or anything you can tell us about that? 
Well, I, yeah, I, uh, you know, I just think we've thrown a lot at him um, defensively, offensively, and and that's been probably the challenge is, uh, you know, his concentration and remembering some things. It's, uh, it's a lot to ask uh, defensively. He's made some some progress but in our practices the last few weeks to be honest he hasn't you know been shooting the ball with a lot of confidence um so we've had some discussions internally with him and you know trying to get on the same page we're going to need him uh there's no doubt in my mind that we need to engage our bench more and that's going to be on me uh in, in some regards, and some of it's going to be on those guys. And we, we again, we had this discussion in a meeting yesterday that it's a two-way street, distrust and belief and different things. Um, but we uh, we certainly can't play, you know, three or four guys 30-plus, 30 35 minutes a game and expect to, to weather the storm through this conference. And, and so I'm trying to encourage guys to step up and, and simplify some things for them, and, and it, it, we'll see what happens this week. Coach, you, you beat Kentucky, you beat BYU, you are into the final seconds against Oregon. Is there something to be said about playing to the level of competition? This team really gets up for the, the games against, you know, big-level talented, talented teams. Well, I, you know, I don't know if, um, if that's – you know, we kind of had a little hiccup when we were in Myrtle Beach. Um, that w- that was kind of an odd start in that tournament, playing against the home team in Coastal Carolina. Um, I, I I don't know if if you can place too much uh, emphasis on that and say, man, we're gonna. Because regardless, in our conference right now, we got a lot of good teams, so it's. Uh, I like what I see when you get on that type of stage. You know, we didn't excel. It, the, the game was a lot closer at San Diego State up until the last 15 minutes. So it's hard to say that completely. But um, I like the way our guys compete, you know. And uh, so when the, when the popcorn's popping and when we've got that, that Kentucky game was very much a road game for us, even though it was in Vegas. And we haven't shied away from um, – you know some of that moment but each game is a different story we can't kind of you know put that in your back pocket and go oh, yeah we always show up for these these big games um but i am proud of the guys for you know staying in games and making plays kind of at that crunch time when there's you know the byu game the kentucky game the minnesota game some of those games right there um you know d- decided by a couple possessions i thought we made the plays that we had to so that's that's certainly encouraging and it's it's a lot more positive than the flip side of that and then i know uh, you had a little bit of a break with the uh, with the holidays but you've had a lot of practice time too now you have a whole week off before the colorado game how much do you uh, relish these opportunities to really get to work with the team yeah now that that's important i mean you need to you need to uh you know there's different phases of the season uh you know once we finish the colorado game it's on and it's a little bit not not quite as intense as an nba schedule but there isn't going to be a whole lot uh, of massive improvement where you can hit some things and i think this last week and this upcoming week are going to be key our team needs to improve um you know, and and it, it kind of goes hand in hand with Mike's question about our bench. You know, we, opportunities there in practice. We need to get, 
you know, instead of maybe playing a rotation of eight guys and playing heavy minutes, I'd like to get nine or ten, and this is a chance for those guys to do it. But um, this this week, I think, is going to be obviously a lot about Colorado, but it really has a lot more to do with us. Uh, fixing some things and there are some consistent themes I think with our next three opponents too we don't have to specifically talk about Colorado because the same thing applies for Arizona and Arizona State so some of the overall concepts that we need to address the rebounding the defensive transition those things we're stepping into in the next three games so they're, they're a little bit of a scouting report but at the same time they're things that that we need to very much improve on <laughs> Um, just back to Booth for a second. When um, when when he's running the point and you have a lineup with him and also Rylan in the backcourt, you're asking Rylan to play off the ball. Um, he's been a point guard his whole life, but you know, at a time when you ask him to go off the ball, is he comfortable with that, or or is that still very much kind of like a learning process for him? No, I think it's fine. Uh, you know. I, what we do is not necessarily one point guard and two wings and two bigs and you know you you depend solely on one person to get you into offense i think we've uh and even more so this year we have three perimeter players and a lot of what we do is interchangeable um so timmy might be using a pick and roll and rylan and boother uh, on the perimeter you know, looking to knock down shots and move, and vice versa. Any of those guys can handle it. So I don't think um, it, it's encouraging to know when you have multiple guys. If you, I think back to when Louisville won the national championship, they had they had a bunch of guards playing with two bigs. So um, sometimes I think it's more productive if you can have playmakers. You know, at those one, two, and three spots. Uh, you know, and, and bigs that are doing their thing at the same time, that can make you more effective. But Ryland, Ryland's, I, I haven't talked to him about it, but uh, he's a player. He just wants to be on the court, and he wants to do what it takes to help us win. Um, and I think you're going to see both of those guys make some positive plays, a little bit different dynamic in how they go about it, but it's nice to have, uh, you know, another pitch to throw at a team. I just had one more on this topic, if you'll mm -hmm. indulge me. Um, Booth would seem to have um, a lot of the tools that maybe some pro scouts like with his length and his athleticism and his ability to handle the ball. Um, big picture, if, if, he, if he wants to get to the next level eventually, what is maybe the biggest deficiency? Not deficiency, but what is the biggest thing that he still needs to progress with in his game? Well, no, I don't think there's, you know, any one thing. I think certainly from a defensive point of view, uh, there needs to be more of a sense of urgency. Have to have the ability to do uh, a guard a lot of guys. That, I, you know, I'm not going to discuss NBA potential or, or what he needs for that. I'm talking about what he needs to. I'm only concerned about winning games and whatever he needs to do to win games. So I think there's consistency with those. But the NBA stuff to me is is. Uh, is not anything we ever talk about. Um, I think he needs to put on some weight in the weight room, um, you know, get stronger. He's working his butt off. Rock does a nice job with our guys. Um, and then I think consistency, 
you know, consistency is one of the biggest things with the, with the effort has got to be consistent uh, and it can't be, you know, an offensive energy and, and a lack of defensive energy. So I, uh, we need very much a two-way approach to this thing and we got to get dialed in and guard some guys in our, in our league, defensive transition-wise and pick-and-roll coverage and different things. So... There's Larry Kristowiak talking about the Utes. The Cougars, they got a big game a little sooner. Thursday, they're playing St. Mary's. Can they beat the Gales? Can they get to second place in the conference? Mark Pope meeting with the media. You talked about it on Saturday a little bit, but what has made St. Mary's so successful, you think, as a program? Well, uh, I think it's a lot of things. I think it's, it's uh, you know, you, can't, uh, you cannot possibly overstate what Randy Bennett has done, right? Uh, He's, uh, as, a, as a coach there, he's instilled a toughness in that program. It's just, it's, it's um, in some ways, it's unparalleled, right? And uh, he's got a, a great recruiting niche, um, a couple of niches that he's developed that, are, that have made it really difficult for the rest of us that are trying to recruit in that area. And, um, and he's uh, been a really... I think, uh, you know, far be it from me to make any judgment on how he coaches, but he's found a lane of basketball philosophy that he believes in and he stayed dedicated to it. And certainly he's grown and made modifications, but he stayed in that lane and it really works and he's really good. He's just good. And they've had great players. They've had great tough players. He's had so many players that roll through there that become more than what you expect them to become. And um, he's done it with uh, consistency and he's he's a freak and uh they have they, they, you know this team is no different um they have uh unbelievable toughness and physicality and uh they're a veteran group um and they've won at the highest level and, and uh you know they know how to protect their home court and so I don't know, somewhere in there is an answer for it. You've taken Cody Fieger with you to two different places. What is it about him that makes you so kind of loyal to him? Well, uh, yeah, so it's probably the opposite. Cody is taking I'm just I'm just I'm just front man for what Cody actually does. Uh, he is a he is an unbelievable coach. Uh, he paid his dues for ten years, I think, in college basketball before he got his uh, his first shot at being an assistant coach. And so he was so beyond ready uh, for that challenge and he is um, he is uh, he knows me really well uh, he knows the few things that I understand about the game he leaves me alone and then all the stupid things I say about the game he corrects me and um, he's uh, he's he's unbelievable I've been lucky to have him uh, you know we've been able to enjoy as a staff in general over the last five years we've been able to enjoy uh, you know a lot of success and, and uh, you know the vast majority of that is due to Cody's contributions because the only to he I'd like to be sarcastic. Sometimes they, that gets me in more trouble here than it used to get me in trouble. <laughs> sure <it does. laughs> I was going to say something about the bathroom or whatever. Um, I think he just banged the finger, um, so he'll be fine. What's the common thread in these defensive performances that this team has been able to put together over the last month or month and a half? Well, it's always about the players, right? So our guys have been willing to commit. Um, they've been willing to kind of grow in their commitment to to that end of the floor. Uh, you know, I talked about it, you know, bored you guys to death after the game Saturday. Was it Saturday? 
um, just in terms of this group being willing to stay focused on defense even when the offensive side of the ball was was a little bit dysfunctional in moments for us and that's just one marker of the commitment these guys have been willing to make to try and guard we still have so many things to do we still got to find a way to rebound the ball better than we have and, and we're growing but we got to be better we still got to handle some issues uh, that we have in ball screen defense we still got to handle some issues we have in the post um, but but these guys you know the reason that we're having some success right now is because these guys are committed to it St. Mary's played a four overtime game I know they have a few extra days to get ready for this but can that affect the team having played that many extra minutes yeah it's going to make them play harder they're going to be really pissy <laughs> I'm not allowed to say pissy they're going to be really uh, angry I'm sure um, you know they've had to sit on that for four days and all that does is prime you you come into practice and you know I'm sure the, their last four days of practice have just been fist fights right and I think at St. Mary's what makes them special is their practices are that way anyway right but now you'll have them doubling down on that and uh, you know listen this team is not that program has not become what it is because they don't know how to respond to setbacks I mean they know how to do it in a resounding way so um, I don't think they're going to be tired I don't think they're going to be uh, sad I don't think they're going to lose any confidence I think they'll be angry which makes it fun that's what you want right talked about this league and your admiration for the league, how tough you think it's going to be. Were you almost not surprised by what happened in South and St. Mary's with just kind of the back and forth and crazy shots and um, what happened out there? Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I think if you looked at the team's non-conference schedules and you look at the success they had in the non-conference, you have, you know, you know, we were talking a lot about South Carolina, uh, uh, Santa Clara and Pacific and and uh, somebody else had an unbelievable record coming in San Francisco right but those teams you know you're playing division one teams and you're winning 12 and 13 games in the non-conference I'm really jealous so they're good teams and um, and this this league is is a complicated league to find your way through and it might maybe even more complicated this year than it has been in the past right which is great i mean it's good for it's good for us it's good for our league it's good for these teams and uh, so I, I don't think I was super surprised. I guess I'm always surprised when St. Mary's loses, but but um, not surprised about how competitive this league is. How much do you pay attention to the net ratings this time of year, if at all? Um, I pay attention because uh, if I don't, then I sound like an idiot when you guys ask me a question about it. Um, I don't know. I do think they mean something. Like it gives you a, a sense of where you are right now. But they, they still, still this early in league play, they'll still fluctuate a little bit wildly with wins and losses, and and not even just wins and losses. But uh, you know, if you have a win where you win by a margin less than expected, it could actually affect your your rankings uh, significantly. So you know, it's not the end all be all in terms of grading our success throughout the course of the season, but it is one marker that we pay attention to. How do you feel this tough schedule has prepared your team for, for this coming up game or coming up game on uh, Thursday? Well, I, I, I think that what a tough schedule does is it exposes the weaknesses that you have, right? And so we've had a tough enough schedule that we've had so many different things exposed, but multiple times, right? And so you kind of come back to the drawing board. You're like, okay, we got to work on that some more and work on that some more. And so hopefully through the course of that process, you end up plugging more holes and finding more answers than you would if, you know, if you played St. Catharines, which is a great program, but if you played them 13 
15 times, then maybe you're not going to you're not going to have been forced to like address the issues that could come back to bite you, right? So, I think that's the way that it prepares you. It doesn't guarantee you anything, but it it sure gives you a lot of opportunities to address uh, challenges you have with your roster. There's BYU head coach Mark Pope. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Ben Anderson. You hear him on the Jazz pre-half and post-game radio shows. He joins PK and I next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, time to talk jazz basketball with Ben Anderson, jazz writer for KSLSports.com and Utah Jazz Radio studio analyst, and he joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A for ninety nine ninety nine. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Ben, good morning. Good morning, fellas. So, the Utah Jazz have apparently fixed the bench. They've won six in a row. They've won 11 out of 12. They never would have gone undefeated on this road trip without good bench play. I'm certain the bench saved them in the first game of the road trip against the Bulls, and they obviously had a major contribution in the win as well in New Orleans. So, of all the changes to the bench, which one is going to pay off the most in the long run? Can I say it's the attitude change and not just one player? I mean, I think Jordan Clarkson immediately came in and, and did have the impact, and we see how hot he can get like he did last night in the second quarter. But it, it seemed like the attitude changed when he got there to where when he wasn't very good in Orlando, Emmanuel Moutier stepped up and had that third quarter and said, hey, this is our job. You know, if, if Jordan Clarkson's not going to do it, I've got to do it. And then, of course, uh, George Niang picked it up in the fourth quarter. I think that's the biggest thing. And, and while – you know, the Jazz have come out and said, you know, Jeff Green wasn't a cancer or anything in the locker room, and, and I've been in that locker room, and it was easy to see that he was very well-liked. I don't know if he brought that energy or that confidence that certainly seems to exist with that group now. And, you know, as you mentioned, they're, they're helping the Jazz win games. They've outscored opposing benches in four straight games, and I, I honestly wonder if they'd outscored opposing benches in four total games but before they made some of these moves. So I, I would say it was probably the attitude that, that has changed the most. Attitude, that's what I'm talking about. The level of confidence right now has to be at a season high, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, they've got momentum where they were up, what, eight in the third quarter last night and blew it and were down four after one basket in the, uh, in the fourth quarter. And you thought, you know, in the past, this is where this team has fallen apart or this is where they've lost games. And I don't just mean earlier this year. I mean, in years past, it seems like if the wins would shift that much, the Jazz would lose those games. And, they just haven't. They've just found a way now to win those games and to deal with adversity, and it's, it's momentum. It's a belief in what they can do as a roster. I mean, I just think there's a lot going on right with this team, and, and maybe as much as we've seen in, you know, 10 years since Darren Williams was here with this team. So the Jazz are now 24-12. and 12. That is a 55-win pace. Do you think they can keep it up? Probably not quite 55 wins but but I do think you have to look at it this way if this had been the Jazz roster and they were playing this well and then at the trade deadline Dennis Lindsay went out and acquired Mike Conley from Memphis for the pieces that he did gave up or give up and, and those players were on this team right now 
you'd have to think the Jazz are going for it. I mean, the Jazz are trying to become contenders and, and really have probably put themselves in that conversation if they were to go out and acquire Memphis Mike Conley. Now, with the context we have that he wasn't playing at that level since he's been with the Jazz, we, we maybe dial that back a little bit. But I do think that's where the Jazz are. And, and you know, 55 wins with as much star power as the Jazz have is, is a team that's trying to contend. So maybe they are that good of a team. And may, maybe that is how good they can be at least play that at that level when they get into the postseason. How surprised have you been that Bogey is more than just a catch-and-shoot dude? Yeah, significantly. I mean, he's just he's so much more complete as an isolation player. And, and you know, he still has a really high dribble, and we've seen how often he turns the ball over at the top of the key. But, I mean, I, I honestly didn't know, and this was just from, from poor research on my part, just his clutch stats being some of the best in the NBA. And Quinn Snyder's talked about that quite a bit, that, Late in games, he's just nails. It just does not matter who's guarding him or what situation he finds himself in. He just finds a way to make baskets, and he did it last night in the face of Derek Favors, uh, hit that big three, and then hit that runner towards the rim and finished well even with the hurt wrist. So his ability to show up big in big moments maybe has been what's most surprising. And then just as, as complete as his game is, and that's funny to say in a night where he scored 35 points and didn't grab a rebound and didn't have an assist, but his, his overall game is, is certainly far better and far more diverse and more impactful than I think I, the, the Jazz were going to get from Boyan. Now this is as good as Joe Ingles can get. He can't get any better than this. The radio show host blurts out for the fourth straight year. Am I finally going to be right? I, I don't know because he ran point guard for, for the entire fourth quarter last night. It was insanely good. It was, I mean, it was just perfect. And the lobs he was throwing to Rudy Gobert. I mean, his last lob that he threw to Rudy with two and a half minutes left. I mean, look, I'm not pretending that I'm, you know, an old guy who's watched a ton of basketball in my life, certainly not going back to the 70s or 80s. But the idea of throwing a lob pass with two and a half minutes left of a one-score game, I mean, 10 years ago was unheard of. And Joe Ingles, who's the old guy on the team, is so comfortable doing it and so good at doing it that maybe he is getting better and his understanding of the game continues to get better. And maybe he has some of that late career impact that we saw guys like Boris Diaw or Joe Johnson have in a jazz uniform where it doesn't matter if his athleticism slips. He's so smart and so savvy and really so skilled that his ability to impact the game continues to not get better necessarily, but adapt to what the jazz need him to be. So I won't be at all surprised if he keeps adding skills. And then, you know, over his last 30 days, which is what, 15 games or so, shooting 52% from the three-point line. So, you know, if that keeps up, which it probably won't, but he's getting wide-open shots, he's going to keep shooting the ball well. So you know how some people say if fill-in-the-blank candidate gets elected president, I'm going to leave the country? They never do, but they always say that every four years or every eight years, whatever it is. I'm going to make this statement. When Conley comes back, if Joe's taken out of the starting lineup, I'm going to leave the country. I, I don't see how it's possible. I just I don't see any reason that Quinn Snyder would do it. And and look, Royce O'Neal was good last night. You know, he, he hit one of his two three-point attempts, and he guarded Brandon Ingram, and, you know, Brandon Ingram still went off for 35 points. I just don't think the impact Royce O'Neal's had in the starting lineup has gotten anywhere close to what the impact Joe Ingles is having in the starting lineup. And now the problem was you had to – it felt like you had to have Joe Ingles on the bench because you needed another playmaker. Joe Ingles isn't on the bench right now, and it feels like you have enough quality bench players between Jordan Clarkson and Emmanuel Moutier when he has his highs that, that you can go there. And even Tony Bradley's recent play has been a very big surprise, I think, over the last five games or so. So 
you don't need Joe Ingles on the bench anymore. And you can put Royce O'Neal there, and you can find ways to get him into the game early and, and get plenty of minutes against the opposing team's starting wing star and best scorer. Uh, you can find a way to do that. But no, I don't think there's any way Joe Ingles finds himself back on the bench. I would agree with you about that, and I think that it's clear Royce will be the one coming off the bench, and I don't think Royce, from the comments I've heard, I don't think he really cares one way or another. I don't think it'll impact his production, because I think his minutes will stay in the same ballpark, and his attitude will stay in the same ballpark, so I think his production will too. I'm more interested in what happens in the last five minutes of a game and who the five guys are who close games, and I'm not convinced that Conley is going to unseat Royce there. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. I I don't know how that's going to go, and I don't know if Quinn's going to say, well, Mike, you got to play well enough to make me put you in, or if he's going to put him in and then say, well, you got to play well enough to keep him in because we know what Royce has done. Do you have any feel for how that's going to go? Who's going to be given the benefit of the doubt right out of the gate? I would suspect benefit of the doubt has to go back to Mike Conley, and you have Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles, Boyan Bogdanovich, and Rudy Gobert. And that, that's the best, best lineup. You know, I mean, it's the most talented lineup. It's the most diverse lineup. And, and, and not to slight Royce O'Neal because he's done nothing but overachieve in a jazz uniform, but, you know, Donovan Mitchell makes a great pass last night with, what, 35 seconds to go, 45 seconds to go, and Royce O'Neal's got a wide-open three-point shot. And if he hits it, the game's over. And he doesn't, and, and it ends up coming down to the last play. And I think you probably have more faith in Mike Conley hitting that shot, even though he doesn't have as good a three-point shooting percentage this year, just based on who he's been in his career, the types of situations he's been in, how, how calm of a character he can be late in those games. That's where I think you have to go back and, and by default, trust Mike Conley. And if it's not working, Quinn Snyder's done radical things this year. I mean, waving Jeff Green is a radical move. Trading Dante Exum, who's you know a jazz DNA guy, for Jordan Clarkson, who I don't think anyone would have thought is a, quote, jazz DNA guy uh, a couple of weeks ago, is a radical move. You know, th- th- those things that the Jazz are doing, benching Ed Davis is a pretty radical move considering you, you signed him this offseason, not to huge money, but to one of the higher paid players on your bench. So Quinn's not afraid of doing that this season because I think he knows how good this team can be. So I, I wouldn't say it's not a possibility that, that the Jazz could close games at some point without Mike Conley, but he, he's good enough and, and a naturally talented and smart player enough, I think it would be hard to, to put him on the bench. So what do you think all this winning means relative to the standings? To the standings? Yeah. I mean, the Jazz are a game back to the second seed, so that, doesn't, that certainly doesn't hurt. And, and I think if you can find yourself in that spot, I mean, look at the West right now. Look, look at there's six really good teams that are going to make it, assuming Dallas is able to continue to play this way. And, you know, I mean, every night if you check a Mavericks box score, and that's not the best way to watch basketball, but I mean, Luka Doncic last night had 38 points and 11 rebounds and 10 assists, and nobody cares anymore. I mean, he's in that conversation to be the best young player we've ever seen, along with LeBron. So he's coming into his own, and I don't know if I want to play him seven times in the postseason if I'm an NBA team. So if you can get up to the two seed and you're facing the Oklahoma City Thunder, that's probably a major plus because as good as they are and as talented as they are, They still have flaws in the roster, and I don't know if they have a closer necessarily as good as Chris Paul is. I don't know if he can still do that at this age, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander might be too young. And then the eighth seed is just a nightmare. I I, I mean, it's going to be a team that's five or six games under 500, maybe at best, that makes it, and it's the Spurs right now, but it could be the Portland in a a couple of weeks, or it could be that uh, New Orleans team that we saw last night if they keep playing well. And look, if they get Zion Williamson back and they have Drew Holiday healthy in the postseason, that's a really dangerous team to play so 
I think you want to make sure you get one of those top two seeds because there's a drop-off in the West from six to seven to eight. But uh, but but going on this win streak in January, as the Jazz traditionally have, is, is going to be big at the end of the season, and we're going to look back at this as having a major impact on who they are. Joe Ingles came in as an end-of-the-roster guy and has worked his way up. Uh, Royce O'Neal came in as an end-of-the-roster guy and is working his way up, seems to be on a similar path to Ingles. Now Niang seems to be on a similar path to Royce. Are we going to be saying the same thing about Tony Bradley in a year or two? I think we're going to be saying the same thing about one of the guys at the end of this bench. And I'm, heard, I, I'm sure you guys have heard the same things I've heard about. The Jazz love Jarrell Brantley. They really like Mie Aoni. They like uh, Ray John Tucker, who they just signed. And, of course, Tony Bradley, with how he's playing, is starting to look like a first-round pick. I think the Jazz are confident they've got a good player there. Which of those four guys ends up being a good player? And it's probably going to be one. You're probably hoping to get one Joe Ingles or one Royce O'Neal. You're not going to get four in that group. So if those one of those guys can continue to pan out, whether that's Brantley's ability to be a Paul Millsap clone in a couple of years, or if Rajon Tucker can do what we've seen in very small spurts, but it's what he did at the G League, which is attack off the dribble and be freakishly athletic and be really strong and be able to finish at the rim. Can you use that type of player? And can that guy save you $25 million over the next three years because he signed to a non-guaranteed minimum contract? I think that's what the Jazz are hoping. And and I don't ever see Tony Bradley becoming a starting-level player. I just don't know if he has a a modern enough skill set or elite enough athleticism as a big guy to carve out that role, but if he can turn into Ed Davis with the 27th pick or 28th pick, whatever Tony Bradley was, that's a, that's a major plus. And, I mean, it's already, uh, it's already started to pay off this season, and nice for the Jazz to have that insurance when Ed Davis wasn't producing. How much do you have to see these types of wins come against more teams like the Clippers? I, I think that was huge. I, I think that validated everything. And going back to talking about attitude that they had early in this, this stretch – I think they needed that win for them to believe that, okay, we weren't just beating you know, the Memphis Grizzlies or some of these low-level teams. I think they needed for themselves in that locker room to feel like those wins were legit and those wins were counting against real teams. And those carry over. You know, If you can beat the Clippers on the road, you can beat the Pelicans on the road, or you can beat the Chicago Bulls on the road, or you can beat Orlando at Orlando. I think that has mattered. Now, the Jazz have six more games against these bad teams, which is pretty incredible. They could really extend this winning streak starting – tomorrow night with the Knicks, and then they have three really interesting games uh, in a four-game stretch. They get Indiana here in Salt Lake City. They go to Golden State, which should be a victory. Then they come back and they play the Dallas Mavericks and they play the Houston Rockets. So three of four teams that are firmly going to make the playoffs that are well above 500. that will be a really important stretch for the Jazz. Do they split that? Do they sweep that group? Do they go three and one? I think that'll tell us a lot about what to expect for the rest of the season. So they got six games before the Pacers start that really good stretch here at the end of the month. Do you think they sweep the six and they're sitting on 30 wins and feeling like a million bucks? I think you've got New Orleans again Mm -hmm. on the third game of a three-game road trip, and you saw how well they played last night. And look, I think New Orleans is going to be polarizing nights depending on which team shows up because they're so young. You're not going to get them every night playing as well as they did, but they have been playing well lately. I would circle that game as a particularly tough game just because you've played them so recently. It's hard to beat a team twice on the road. It's hard to beat them in that close of proximity. I think I think there's probably room for at least one loss in that group of six and maybe two. But 
the Jazz are playing this well and shooting as well as they are, and it, it's not that crazy they're shooting this well because Quinn Snyder's offense does get the best open looks, at least did last season in the NBA, and then they added a bunch of 40% three-point shooters this offseason. Uh, I, I think it's very possible. What the Jazz might do, though, is, is reincorporate Mike Conley, and that just might shake up the chemistry a little bit. I mean, that might just slow the roster down a little bit, and, and that could result in a loss, even though, of course, it's a, it's a much better addition in the long run. He's Ben Anderson. He's only got about 100 opinions on the Jazz. Hear him on the Jazz pre-half and post-game shows with Jake. Thanks for joining us, Ben. We appreciate a few minutes. Thanks, guys. There's Ben Anderson. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next.